Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Play the lyre to our God. Who covers the sky with clouds, prepares rain for the earth, and causes grass to grow on the hills. He provides the animals with their food. And the young ravens, what they cry for. He is not impressed by the strength of a horse. He does not value the power of a warrior. The Lord values those who fear him, those who put their hope in his faithful love. Thanks, BJ. Christian threatened to sermonize. Are you going to do that this time? Oh, okay. A great passage of scripture to set the tone for where we're going um, this morning. If you would turn with me to Matthew 6, we're going to continue on. Sermon on the Mount, looking at the final section of chapter 6. In my Bible, the title reads, The Cure for Anxiety. And I really like that that title. I really like that it talks about this subject um, in, in a way of whoever wrote the title for this is like, if you really want to have victory over anxiety and worry and stress, Jesus shows us how. Now, it's very easy to read and very difficult to apply. So um, we're going to take this section in two separate um, studies. And this morning, we're going to begin this final section by looking at worry. It's interesting enough as we begin our time to think about fear of scarcity. A fear of scarcity or not having enough fills us with anxiety. Um, It's interesting that the final section of Matthew 6, which focuses on this, comes on the heels of Jesus' teaching about greed and possession. You know, oftentimes I've, I've heard this, this passage of Scripture taught as if it's a standalone message. But if we remember what Jesus has talked about thus far, dealing with God and possession and not just our, our worship of God in private, but how we live that out in public, and then considering that we are people who are prone to idolatry of possession, uh, people who are prone to having and holding things and making them ultimate in our lives rather than things that are being given to us by God to bless others with and to use for his glory. And we would be remiss to disconnect these teachings because there is an important contrast between being present, being presented here between fear that causes us to grasp at worldly possession and faith that leads us to give freely. Fear causes us to grasp and hold on to things. It makes us possessive of things. But faith leads us to give things away. When my hope is in God, when my faith is in God, I'm not holding on to things here. I can give way more freely than I, uh, than I can when I am grasping and holding on to things possessively and having a wrong view ultimately of what in this world actually belongs to me. We're stewards, not owners. And in stewardship, the steward is to care for what's been entrusted to them so that they can give it back to the master in better condition than when they found it. We are stewards of our churches. We are stewards of our families, even of our co-workers and our classmates. We are stewards of the possessions that we have to take good care of them and hand them back to God in a better condition. Say, I took what you gave me and I made the most of it for your name and now I give it back to you as worship to you. In the end, that's what we want to do with our very lives, isn't it? 
We want to present our lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice. We just lived our lives in absolute surrender and worship. So valuing and holding on to things of this world that we're stewards of as if we created them and owned them ourselves not only presents an idolatry problem, but Jesus, as he goes into this section, shows us that it actually causes anxiety and stress. It freaks us out. It breaks us down. It crushes us. So following his teaching on possessions, Jesus now addresses the things we worry about and why we shouldn't worry about them. Matthew chapter 6, picking up in verse 25, we'll read down through verse 30, uh, and it'll be on the screen for you as well. We have slides for that, but if it's in your Bible, you can go ahead and follow along however you like. Jesus continues in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. Verse 25, as we begin this section, is obviously the result of understanding verse 24. No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus has called us to thought and now he calls us to action. He's called us to process these things in our minds and then he says now how you're living it out needs to adjust accordingly. And we as followers of Jesus have made the choice. We've made our choice for heavenly treasure, which is incorruptible, rather than earthly, which is corruptible. And in that choice, some freedom comes along with it. And it's fascinating how often we bring slavery to things or to stuff or to ideas of the world back into our lives, isn't it? How we enslave ourselves to things in our lives that we don't have to. We're free from the corruptible because we worship the incorruptible and we we store up our treasure in a place that cannot be touched by the corruption of earth. We believe that God created us, which is a great accomplishment, isn't it? Think about that. Some people talk about how they struggle with the resurrection of the dead. You know, well, the parts of the Bible, these make sense to me. I've talked to many people this way. They make sense to me. But then resurrection from the dead, that's a hard thing for me to, you know, how, how does that happen? I just struggle with that being reality. Do you know it's far more difficult than the resurrection from the dead? Something from nothing. Something from nothing is much more difficult. If you can believe that God created the world from nothing, that his creative power can bring something from zero then why would we worry about him animating something that was dead? Why would we worry about resurrection? If I, can, if I can believe and look at creation, which is why it says in Romans chapter 1 that we just have to look at creation to know about the existence of God, to see the beauty of God. He talks about the examples that we'll get into in a little bit here, but you can just look around at creation and go, this did not just happen. That's like saying a bomb goes off in a factory and a BMW would roll out, right? I mean, that... That's just ridiculous. Clearly, this was designed. Clearly, this was put together. And if I can believe that God spoke this world into existence, then I don't have a problem 
when I think about him bringing the dead back to life. We believe that God created us, which is this massive accomplishment, and that he not only created us, but he breathed into us life. And if God can do something like that, why would we question whether he could feed us or not? Why would I question whether he's going to give me water to drink or, or a roof over my head or clothing on my body? Why would I question him if I believe those things about God? Why would I question him in things that are so much less difficult to accomplish for a God who brings something from nothing? And, and I know you're like, yeah, we know all this stuff. Yeah, it's like, but we still freak out, don't we? Come on, you don't lose your cool when your dryer starts going, oh, 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 oh. how are we going to pay for it? You don't think like that? <laughs> That's how my wife finds me on my knees. Oh, I, and she's just like, the dishwasher is also broken. I didn't know how to break it to you, but the dishwasher is also not working right now. You guys, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? If God has given you life, if he has given you the ability to breathe, you're doing things right now in your body that you're not even thinking about, although now you're going to think about it. I love doing that. Be like, have you ever thought about breathing? Everyone's like, <sighs> like everyone starts thinking about their breathing. You're welcome. That'll haunt you all day. I'll save the real scary stuff for Halloween. Halloween's on like a Sunday this year. Oh man, are we going to have fun? Do you know what's scary? Hell. No. So the question, you guys, <laughs> it's true, but like, Okay, that, okay, but that question, you think about it, isn't life more than food? I'm getting back on, on topic. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? That question is a rabbinic style of argument. It's a rabbinic sty style of argument they'd be familiar with in this setting. If God can do these things, why doubt that he can provide for what he created? The, the, the answer to the question is already implied. We wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt that if, if this is where I, what I actually believe about him, if this is what I believe God can actually do. I wouldn't worry about those things. We'd like to think that based on our biblical knowledge and experience as Christians, that none of this is breaking news. You know, I used to get excited when I saw breaking news things on, on the TV. Did you when you were a kid? Breaking news. You're like, ooh, what is it? Now I'm like, I can't look. I just can't right now. I can't look at the breaking news. But when you think about this, like, this isn't a newsflash. This isn't anything really huge or significant. But our stress levels betray how much we believe this. Because we are stressed out. We have anxiety. Depression rates spike all around us. There's a lot of factors for this. But if we want to get to the root to begin with, we need to consider in the way that Jesus says here to consider, to clearly discern, to fix our gaze on something. And he says, think about this. Don't worry about all of these things. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and body more than clothing? Then he says in verse 26, consider the birds of the sky. Fix your gaze on the birds. The birds of the sky, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. What are we so worried about? He says, aren't you worth more than they? Look, at, look around you. 
He's making, this is what Martin Luther said. I love this quote. Martin Luther said, he's making the birds our schoolmasters and teachers. It is a great and abiding disgrace to us that in the gospel, a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and a preacher to the wisest of men. Isn't it amazing how all of creation just cries out of God's existence, of his ability, of what he can do? And you know what's crazy is we spend so much time trying to think up something profound, and Jesus says, go look at the birds. Just go observe the birds. Do you know what I actually want to give you to do this week? You probably can guess. Do you know what it is? Go bird watching. <laughs> exactly. Get your binoculars out. I'm serious. I, I give you guys the following assignment. Go watch the birds this week at some point. Just sit and watch them do their thing. First of all, it's delightful. Second of all, <laughs> it is. It's delightful to watch birds do their thing. They're so much fun. Unless, okay, except quick story. I was, <laughs> I was in the park this week, right down by the lake, and I heard something horrible happen above me in the tree and a bunch of seagulls start freaking out and swirling and some little falcon had taken a baby seagull out of its nest and took it down on the beach and had lunch and it was screaming and it was horrifying so that's sin And hopefully your experience isn't like mine. You're like, I'm not going to go watch the birds anymore. <laughs> Just go watch a bald eagle eat a fish. It's way less like horrifying. But, but what's interesting, you're like, why would you bring that up? Because I understand that sometimes people like me try to go out and actually do what the pastor says and be like, okay, I'm going to go watch the birds. You watch this whole thing happen. You're like, I don't, that's horrible. But you guys, I encourage you to look around you. Look at what God has made. Look at the beauty of it. Look at how it functions. And why do we worry so much about things in our lives? I'm going to go a little, bit, a little bit more focused on us today here. I wonder how often we're actually concerned about our needs. And I'm talking to us sitting in this room, Americans living where we live, having what we have. I wonder how often we're really concerned about not having the needs as opposed to being deprived of our excess. You know, in this region, in this time, Jesus is talking to people that it's hard to get water in this region. I don't know if you know the land of Israel very well, but water is what you need. Water is the, the commodity. The stronger nations would always be near the waterways. And that's because if you have water, you have life. You can keep your crops going, you keep your animals alive. But a lot of the regions, especially south and the southern parts of Israel, you're talking Dead Sea, you're talking even the plateaus, the plains where Abraham would be, very dry, dry places. And finding water was essential or you and your family and all your herds would die. Now, it's more lush up to the north, but still you see a lot of the major cities that Jesus preached in the synagogues around the area of Galilee were around the lake. Water. Water is life. That's a need. That's a necessity. Food, necessity. And, and these were things that in different parts in the world, even right now, the majority of the world is concerned about the necessities. When you go to Africa, they're not really that concerned about things outside of we need water, we need food, we need these necessities. And so sometimes we look at these things like, I'm not worried about where I'm going to eat. There's like 15 restaurants on my way home. I'm not concerned about what I'm going to drink. I have running water in my house. 
the needs are kind of covered for us, but I want to call your attention to something that may really help us here. How often am I stressed out and worried about my excess being taken away? Not even my need. That's far worse. It's far worse to be stressed out about things that we don't even need for survival, that we don't even need to get by. So many times I just don't want to live with less, let alone am I fearing the needs. You guys, this is why it's dangerous for people who have as much as we have. It's dangerous because so often we rely on those things and we count on those things without the involvement of God. I'm not praying for him to provide water for my family tomorrow. When was the last time you prayed for the Lord to give your family water to drink tomorrow? Church, we have become a people that's enslaved to excess. We're stressed out about our Instagram feeds. We're stressed out about a person at work that doesn't like us. We're, we're stressed out about all that. And I'm not saying those things don't matter. What I'm saying is, is this is like not even on the need level. God has covered for us, for so many of us, for probably most of us, all the need that we haven't even thought about it recently. I've not thought about how my family might starve recently, but I know families who do. I have friends in Africa that $50 changes their month. It changes how they see their, their future because it actually means that they can feed their family. There's families all over like this. And we, we take for granted that we have water that runs in our houses. And I've watched little babies with bottles filled with gray water drinking it in the streets in Africa. Because that's the only water they have. And this isn't guilt. This is just an awareness of like, do you realize how much God has blessed us? Do you realize that he's blessed us even as a church in this way, but, but as a people in the way that he has? How much more willing should we be to let our excess go, to give freely and openly because all of our needs have been met, yet we're trying to acquire more, more, more. If only I could have this. If only I could have that. It'll never make us happy. It'll never be satiated. The goal is to give it away and to glorify God with what's been given because he's covered our needs, we should be more generous. This should be the most generous nation on the earth. We should be the most generous people on the earth. If God concerns himself with feeding the birds, will he not feed us and has he not given us way more? From our Psalm 147 that BJ read at the beginning, Verses 9 through 11, he provides the animals with their food and the young ravens, what they cry for. He's not impressed by the strength of a horse. He does not value the power of a warrior. The Lord values those who fear him and those who put their hope in his faithful love. The Lord values those who fear him. In other words, those who are worshiping him, those who honor him. And when you think about it, those who put their hope in his faithful love are not grasping at anything on this earth. They're actually looking to give it away. They're looking to give it to others. Jesus continues on. He gets a little bit more personal. Verse 27, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? One moment to your lifespan. And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon 
in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do it much more for you? You have little faith. The effects of stress are easy to research and read about. You can read a lot about it online from various sources. Um, it's easy to see that they're the cause of high blood pressure. Um, from that, ranging all the way to a spiral of chronic stress, which leads to emotional, mental, physical breakdown. The ending result a lot of times in depression. We know where depression leads for many. Not only are we not healthier from our stress and worry, it drains joy and peace from our lives because we're looking to something created to satisfy us instead of the creator. We're looking to stuff to validate us instead of who God says we are. We're exchanging identity. The answer to the question is clear. We are not adding one moment to our lives through worry. And in fact, I would make the case that we're losing moments. Not only in the moment through worry, missing out on opportunities, but it's actually costing us time. It's costing us time in our lives. It's draining us. It's deflating us. And time is such a precious commodity. It's a gift. We have to be careful not to waste it. Throughout Scripture, we're told that we should number our days, that we should make the most of the time. That passage is found in Ephesians chapter 5, just for that one example, verses 15 through 17. Pay careful attention, Paul writes then, to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is or what the Lord's will is. If I'm going to make the most of this time, I need to see it through his eyes. I'm not going to expend my life or the resources he's given me unwisely. But I recognize that if I can't take it with me and I don't know how many days I get, how am I going to treat people? How am I, I going to love, love people or care for people? What am I willing to give before my days are over? Francis Chan one time said it really well. He said, you know, they, they kind of adopted this attitude of just giving stuff away. And um, someone asked him, you know, like, are you concerned that, like, you're going to give too much away and you won't be able to provide for your family? He goes, you know, if my wife and I had the discussion. If we, if we give so much away that we starve to death, we'll just walk into heaven and go, oops. <laughs> Whoops. Guess I guess I went too far. <laughs> you know? But it's interesting, isn't it? Because we think like, yeah, well, well what, what, what are you gonna what if you give so much away that you have nothing to eat? And God's like, Why are you worried about it? Why are you worried about what you're gonna eat? Just be generous. Be generous and don't worry. Isn't it funny how the more we hold on, the more we worry? The more I grasp, the more I stress. Anxiety's roots are within our own hearts. And Jesus says, look at the birds. When it comes to your, your provision, your food, your drink. And then he says, look at the flowers. Guess what else I'm going to tell you to do? <laughs> Go look at the flowers. Go look at the flowers. He says, observe the wildflowers of the field and how they grow. He says, they don't labor or spin thread. In other words, they don't clothe themselves. They don't make clothing for themselves. It just naturally flows out of them, provided from the soil. 
And he says, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. Wouldn't you have loved to see the kingdom of Solomon? the temple of Solomon to see the, the um, amazing riches and like just to look at it and be like, wow, that's impressive. And Jesus says, the flowers are better. Your flowers are better and they're cheap. They're hard to keep alive, but they're cheap. It's amazing though. You can go out and have you ever just looked at a flower long enough to be amazed at it? The color, the detail, it's beautiful. Do you ever take a flower petal and rub it on your face? Me neither. But you could do that, and that would be okay. You guys, all we have to do is go look at the flowers, look at the birds, look at the things around you instead of your screens. Yes, I'm calling my own sin out. Stop staring at a screen and go look at something outside. Go enjoy something that God created. These things have use but they're not ultimate. Learn from the the nature and the beauty of what's around you. Spurgeon, who was always so eloquent in speech, he said this um, in reference to the wildflowers and the birds. Lovely lilies, how you rebuke our foolish nervousness. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Look at these people, they're crazy. They're trying to accomplish all this stuff, and then what? Then they die, and none of it goes with them. Not one penny. When was the last time that we took the words of Jesus seriously and stopped to look at the flowers? If God cares for these things, he will certainly care for us. If they're beautiful to him, how much more beautiful are we? Why do we have such little faith? Why do we doubt God's power and disbelieve his desire to provide for his children? It's interesting, if you look at scripture, just here in the Gospel of Matthew, it's situations where um, people are referred to by Jesus, referenced in some way by Jesus, of having little faith. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, um, O you of little faith is spoken to the disciples when Jesus calmed the storm. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus spoke those words to Peter when he began to sink while walking on water. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 8, he spoke those words to the disciples when they thought Jesus was upset with them for not bringing bread when they crossed the Sea of Galilee. You know what's interesting about that? There's a wrong way to observe nature as well, and that's to make it ultimate. There's a balance here. Isn't it interesting as you think about those pictures that when the storm was scaring the disciples, they had little faith because they had Jesus in the boat and they didn't rely on him. Peter was doing just fine when he was walking on water until he looked at the waves and the storm around him and he doubted. The disciples were doing just fine with Jesus that day until they forgot that he took five loaves and two fish and fed All those people, thousands and thousands of people. Isn't it interesting how quickly we get caught up in not observing the providence of God in the world around us, but looking at that world around us to provide for us or to take care of us or to protect us or to feed us, whatever that need is, rather than seeing that it's the hand of God working through the things around us that does this.
there's this understanding when you look at the birds that you need to see that it's God working. That when you look at the flowers and we look at the, the world around you, that you see God's hand at work, that those things can't save you. The God who created them can. The feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000 is such a powerful picture when you read about the disciples being stressed out in Matthew chapter 16 because Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they were like, we didn't bring bread. Do you have bread? I didn't bring any. Peter, did you bring bread? And Jesus is like, I just fed 5,000 men with five loaves. You realize that's not normal. He's like, I'm not talking about food, right? And how often do we misunderstand God in the same way? These guys really speak to me. I think I would have fit in really well with the, the disciples. I'm like, I didn't bring bread either. I have a Red Bull. You know, like, I, I don't, so many times that's just, we just think like that. You know, God's like, why don't you go minister to that person and be like, well, I'm not dressed right. They're never going to listen to me. <laughs> it's like, thank you. I was like, Mike, you're never dressed right. You're, you're, look where you're standing. You're never dressed right. Here's the thing, you guys. We, we are called by God to do his work. We let him equip us for that work. We seek for him to do that. It's his provision. Jesus wanted his disciples to trust him for everything, from the storm calming to walking on water to food, drink, and clothing, all of it. He expects us as his followers to do the same. He calls us to observe creation as proof that he is more than worthy of our trust, more than a solid foundation. He's the lover of our souls. He's our provider. He's our God and our king. He's our savior. Anxiety, worry, stress. We'll continue this thought process next week as Jesus goes further. But they're all sourced in fear. They are all sourced in fear. They are all sourced in reliance upon something else and needing to control that system instead of trusting God as ultimate, his provision as ultimate. There are many examples of men and women who found strength in the Lord and freedom from fear and anxiety, many saints of old. One of them was St. Patrick. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story of St. Patrick, but he was born in Britain. He was kidnapped as a boy. He was sold as a slave. And they shipped him across the sea to Ireland where he became a shepherd in a foreign land amongst people who had kidnapped him from his home. He learned there as a shepherd how to commune with Jesus, how to pray, how to seek the Lord in solitude. After escaping Ireland, he came back and preached the gospel to the people who enslaved him. Came back and was a missionary to those people. He recognized the presence of the Lord everywhere. He found faith in Jesus to be the ultimate victory over fear and anxiety. And based upon this, he wrote the prayer known as the breastplate of St. Patrick, which reads this way. And I want to read this to us this morning. And if I could have you do this for me, if you could just close your eyes and listen. Maybe this will give us a bit better focus. Just listen to these words. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me, Christ in me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, 
Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. You don't have to have your eyes closed anymore if you don't want to. Um, The reason I love those words is because it gives us this understanding of Jesus all around. Of his provision, his foundation, his protection, his ministry, his guidance. It's just Jesus through and around. Jesus all over. Is that how we live our daily lives? Not in here, out there. That it's just Jesus all the time. That I'm communing with him moment by moment through my days. Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. You know, that praying without ceasing doesn't mean that you're driving down the freeway with your eyes shut. It means that you are communing with the Lord always in every situation, over every every little thing that happens throughout your day? Do I see this world through his eyes? Am I encompassed by him? Do I cry out and speak to him when I lay down, when I wake up in the morning? Is he the one I'm looking to immediately? Is Jesus ultimate in my life? Because I think that's the cure to anxiety. Is Jesus being ultimate? ultimate in every aspect of my life we worry about a great many things let me tell you this god is not sorry that he made you he's not wondering why he did it he's not wondering who you are he's not wishing you were somebody else jesus loves you from the top of your head all the way to the bottom of your toes forever amen he loves you through and through and wants you he doesn't just care about you he died for you He doesn't just want to know what your favorite color is. He wants intimacy. He loves everything about you. And obviously that's the exception of sin. The sin that's in my life, he died for for that I could be free of. But everything that he created me to be, he loves and cherishes and wants and desires. And you guys... This is one time you can intentionally take a really deep breath and go, we're good. I could pass on. I could go and do anything, but I know that the Lord loves me. I know that he's with me. He's all around me. When I make a mistake, he pulls me back. He's the one cheering the loudest when I do things right and honor him. Don't disconnect all those longings that you have, maybe the deficiencies that you have in your life, maybe bad relationships, bad parents, bad kids. I mean, like, whatever it is that makes you feel like a failure, you need to take a long, deep breath and remember that your identity is in Christ, that he's pleased with you, that the Father looks on you with favor because of Jesus. And that he came to seek and save the lost, just like us. He cares about your stress. He cares about your worry. In fact, he died so you could be free. So you wouldn't have to bear it. it. You wouldn't have to carry it around. 
there's freedom there, there's release. And we're going to take communion this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to take communion this morning, and I want you guys to take this opportunity as we take the bread and as we take the cup. I want to encourage you guys, as you remember his sacrifice, to intentionally think of his creation, think of his beauty, think of his provision for you, and let that anxiety, that worry, that stress go. Let it go. Let it roll off. You don't have to bear it. You don't have to carry it. There's freedom. There's freedom in what Christ has accomplished. We could never achieve this through works, and maybe that's why we're so tired and worn out. We could never have achieved this by straining or or pushing on our own, and maybe that's why we get so beat down. And so when we come to the table, we come to the bread and the cup of communion, we're recognizing that Jesus did something that we could not accomplish. Jesus made his sacrifice for us and took our sin upon him and gave us his righteousness. It was the great exchange. All of his righteousness for all of my sin. And if we as a church here this morning have believed on him, then we are in him. And his salvation, his saving is for us. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11, passage that you're really familiar with probably, but I want to read it before we take communion together. Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, really quickly, would you just refresh your mind with that thought? That Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. It's personal. He then took the cup in the same way after supper. This is the cup, he said, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are recognizing that Jesus has died and risen again and saved us from our sin and that we have been purchased by his precious blood. That is for every person in this room. It applies to every single one of us individually and it's what collectively brings us together as his body, as his purchased bride. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to play some songs. We're going to sing and worship. The elements for communion are right up front here. You guys can come forward and take those. As soon as I pray, you can come forward and take those, and we're just going to sing, and you can take that communion on your own. I want you to make this personal. This is what Jesus did for you and for me. This is personal. And in light of what we've studied this morning, I want you to consider praying and asking the Lord, to fresh, refresh you and to set your eyes on him again. Off of the things that we rely upon, off of the things that we make ultimate, to make him ultimate again. To say, Lord, if there is sin that has dethroned you in my heart, remove it and take your proper place. Be king of my life. Refresh yourself in these things. Lord, as we take communion, as we worship um, together, by singing to you and by taking the bread and the cup. Lord, I ask that this would be very special for those here 
as they've heard the words that you spoke at the table, that they would see that we are your disciples. We are following after you. We love you, and we have been brought into your family. And so we proclaim the power of the cross. We proclaim the power of the resurrection by taking these elements this morning. We recognize that only you can save us. We recognize that there is no other way, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And then, Lord, release this anxiety and this stress. I pray, God, over people here in this room that I love and care about dearly, that you would release them from stress and anxiety and worry and depression and all the brokenness that this world brings into our lives, that we would be free from it as your children liberated and able to find our true identity. Jesus in who you say we are and that is son or daughter. We are your children. We're yours. Stir us up, Lord. Enable us to respond. Remove barriers from our hearts. We ask in your name. Amen.